Sport Black Podcast. What happens when two HBCU graduates get together with their differing points of view to create a podcast? You get On My Grown, where two millennials come together to discuss the confusion, the struggles, and the comedy that comes with adjusting to adulthood. Discussing everything from corporate America to dating to keeping a little change in their pocket. Check out Rodney and Melanie every week on On My Grown, the podcast. Available on onmygrown.com, SoundCloud, and any place that you find podcasts. Remember, support Black Podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast. Every black film ever made, my name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles fame. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, Wednesdays 8 to 10 on G-Town Radio. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were having a fit. I was going to go and get you some hard candy. And that made absolutely no sense. I don't I have no idea why I did that. Put a spoon. Somebody get a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> like all those weird random things that old ladies would say when someone would get sick. Like it's hard candy in a spoon. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are... Somebody get a baby a hard candy. I'm sorry. Tonight, ladies more. and gentlemen, <laughs> we are... Snapping our fingers and moving our feet to Gregory Hines, Suzanne Douglas, and Sammy Davis Jr. in 1989's Tap, written and directed by Nick Castle Jr. Yes. Vince's selection for this stop on the Michelle Mission. But before we get into that, as always, we like to take time to... Uh, thank each and every one of you for all of your feedback that you give us via email at michellemission at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or and or Instagram. Absolutely. Or even in iTunes. Oh. On Apple Podcasts, where we got another review. Oh, excellent. This one is from... Uh, Pitches, if I'm reading it correctly. Okay. Because... It, it it's P I C H I E S, and that with an R is riches. So I'm thinking that it's no, that would be riches. So it's peaches. Okay, it's peaches. All right, thank so you, peaches. Peaches. Well, says, I ain't gonna say thank. Well, I will say thank you, regardless of what. Peaches yeah, because says. you went in and, and gave correct. us a review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a five star review. Okay, then really thank you. <laughs> Saying excellent show. Peaches continues. Hi guys, great show about Jackie Robinson. Keep up the great work. Please bring on more guests like Tatiana King Jones from other uh, POC nerd uh, geek shows. Black Ronin. Okay. I believe this actually may be from Black Ronin just signing as PCs. I don't know. Okay. All right. um, 
thank you for the shout out and we are definitely um trying to you know as soon as 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 schedules will allow absolutely we're trying to book more uh guests from other podcasts absolutely that's always that's always real real cool and real quick that gives me time to um plug that you and I, Vince, made an appearance on the So It's a Show podcast. Yes, we did. I was about to say, and we have fun when we guest on other podcasts as well. Yes, as we sat down with Kyla and Taylor to talk about Gilmore, or Gilmore Girls, and more specifically, a, a passing reference that they made to Driving Miss Daisy. Yes, yes. Which got us all into the whole driving Miss Daisy debate. We got pulled into driving Miss Daisy, like driving Miss Daisy, kid and play slash nice and smooth, and yeah. the last dragon will be our legacies. This will be those will be our legacies. Those are our legacies. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I don't it's like certainly that. A, a hodgepodge. It is a hodgepodge. <laughs> Of things to be, why can't we be known for, you know, the the Malcolm X review? I know. Like a party where they're just playing kid and play and nice and smooth, and then they're showing, um, the Last Dragon and driving Miss Daisy like on a projector. That's a strange party. Yes, it's like a weird David Lynch type party, which does. Sound like a Michelle Mitchell. I was about to say, the more I say it, maybe that does kind of capture us. <laughs> for good or for ill. Yes. That's weird. Anyway, thank you for that review. Yes, we appreciate that. Thank you. We do appreciate it. Uh, let's see. What else did we have happen? I'm going over here to Twitter where I thought I saw something and maybe I maybe I blinked and I actually didn't see it. Uh oh nope, I didn't. Oh, okay. Yes, I knew. Uh I'm sorry. This will all be cut out. <laughs> Somebody give him a hard candy. This is from Paul Costello. Hey, what's up, Paul? At Paul Cinephile. Okay. Who said this week I discovered the Michelle Mission podcast. It's very good. Much enjoyment. Thank you, Paul, and welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the mission. Got a hundred plus Michigan. episodes for you, buddy. Yeah. Get the get the get the uh checking them out. Yes. Um uh, so so thank you. Yes. Over in our Facebook group where everybody is having a really good time. Um George Kimona hit me up to let me know. That he did three spit takes <laughs> over our review of Jackie Robinson. Okay, all right. I, he did. He doesn't say exactly what it is that what, he gave. What parts? Yeah, were, he doesn't yeah. say. Um, but it is my understanding. You have made me aware, Vince, that there are some people that were maybe feeling a a little. Uh, 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 well, they were caught off guard. They were very caught off guard. They were caught off guard at the beginning. We didn't let them know in advance <laughs> that this was happening. <laughs> See, I think an ongoing theme is you have to let people know in advance. Yeah, that this is about to happen. Yeah, we did not. We kind of just like put it out there right. that uh, you know that easy. Whole- Easy. A whole conversation about um, easy. 
insecure. Easy. Christopher Goodnight said, wow, this week's episode opening. <laughs> Was not expecting that. Mopop said, wow. <laughs> Alan Anthony said, here I came to post that exact thing. Uh, right, hashtag right. see what I did there. Right, right. Uh, I'm not pointing fingers, but I blame Ariel and Jasmine. Well, I will point the finger. <laughs> it's their fault. So, uh, so we have what we have done is we have recorded a um, a little. I guess what would you call it? A, a, a parental advisory. A parental advisory, giving you the heads up. Yes, that we will. Again, you have to let people know in advance. We will affix to it's that the episode. Polite thing to do and repost it, so people will know. <laughs> What's coming? Um, <laughs> Easy, <laughs> straight and narrow. I didn't say a word. I don't say what you're talking about. Ooh, the devil is busy. Uh, Christopher Goodnight also asked, "Why does Jackie Robinson get credited with breaking the color barrier oh, over Moses that. Fleetwood Walker?" Oh, I saw him post that. I read it and then I immediately started reading something else because it got too sporty too quickly. And I said, "Oh yeah, this uh-uh, nope, I'm not, I'm not getting into that." Well, here's the thing. Uh-oh. Moses Fleetwood Walker <laughs> is credited with being one of the first black men to play uh, Major League Baseball, or it's a real black more to the point, too. organized baseball. Moses Fleetwood Walker. It is, and if you see his face, he is the spitting image of um. Oh, what's this? Skin- John Henry? No, what's the skinny Wayans name? George Washington Carver, Wayans. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Frederick Douglass. Because no, seems, not Fred, Frederick Douglass. He Wayans seems like a real old timey Negro. The skinny Wayans that's in all those dumb movies. Marlon, Marlon. He is the spitting image of Marlon. Have you seen Moses Fleetwood Walker? <laughs> Look at this picture of Moses Fleetwood Walker, Vince. No, Tell no. me that that is. I was a- in the African American Museum a few months ago. Yup. That's exactly how I thought he looked. He don't look like Marlon. He looked like an old timey black man. Okay, well, this is how Marlon would would look. His name is Moses Fleetwood Walker. Yes. He probably played baseball non-toms better than everybody else. He, I'm sure he did. However, he only made it to the minor leagues. Okay. And while he was the first, um, one of the first, it's, there's some debate, in organized baseball, he 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 preceded the ban of colored people playing organized baseball. Sure. So therefore, he does not count as breaking the color barrier because there technically wasn't a barrier. There was there wasn't like the 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 uh, official barrier for him to break. You know the bad thing? You got so sporty just now. <laughs> like I actually was thinking about other stuff. Like I was thinking like how did he get the name Fleetwood? Then I was thinking Fleetwood Mac. Then I was thinking Fleetwood, the car. And then somehow I said Fleet Stock, which then made me think Dead Stock, which then I started thinking about sneakers. And then you finished talking. What the wrong with you? <laughs> Fleet Stock isn't even a thing. I don't even know where Fleet Stock came from. Like Fleetwood Mac and the Fleetwood, isn't that like a car? And then I said Fleet Stock. And then I said Dead Stock. And I started thinking about sneakers. Lordy, lordy. Anyway, <laughs> continuing on. 
Did you read this on Shadow and Act that Lee Daniels and Fox 21 are developing a series based on the novel The Spook Who Sat By The Door? I did see that. I don't know. I, I, uh, Lee Daniels has about a 60-70% success rate with me. You're not a fan of Lee Daniels' work? But, I'm fan, fan is I, – I, I don't want to say I'm not a fan in like that passive-aggressive I don't like him. Mm-hmm. But I don't, yeah, he's real He's real hit or miss with me. So I don't know what I feel about that. Well, Lee Daniels, I think more, is he producing it or is he directing or writing it? Well, I have to imagine he's producing it, which okay, when you're well, talking about a series, he probably has his hand. Okay. All right. I mean, in the writing. All right. Um, uh, Phil, Was- Phil Wasoba says that he doesn't trust Fox. Okay. And also, this is a property that has a lot of anvils. You need someone with a more adept hand to pull this thing off right for network television. Markham Lee said it's going to be an overwrought nonsense. (laughs) The source material is a bit over the top, in my opinion. So you need someone who can handle handle subtlety, which means no Spike Lee, no Lee Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, I definitely know Spike Lee. Um Lee Daniels, as far as in the TV sphere, he's a producer on Empire, so that doesn't... And creator. Like, okay. I think Empire is his vision. Okay. Um, but, giving him the benefit of a doubt, Empire was created to be over the top. Right. Right. That was, right. Lee Absolutely. Daniels is also the writer and director of um, Precious... Which, you know, some people are having complicated feelings about Precious. Um, And The Butler. Which I have to say I haven't seen. I actually haven't seen The Butler. I can't can't make it through The Butler. Okay. I've tried. Because of the quality? Because of the story? I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. Probably more so the story, though. Okay. Yeah. To be honest. Um, So I'm kind of hit or miss on him as well. Right. Uh, But, and... This whole thing about the property, the spook who sat by the door, I didn't read the the book. I'm sitting here realizing when I think Markham said about the source material, I, I don't remember one thing about this book. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I know, like I know the general story, and I'm 85% sure I read it at some point, mm-hmm. but I have no – and then I saw the movie. I saw the movie. But I have no memory of the book whatsoever. I can't stand the movie. Right, right. I think the movie is – But that's because of the quality of the movie more yeah. so than – the source material. Right. Very yeah. true. Very true. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, and before we get into our, our review, just a couple of more things. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Azor Risbrook put a trailer in the Facebook group for a movie Green Book. Yes. Which stars Viggo Mortensen and yes. Mahershala Ali. Yes. Uh, going more or less on a road trip. Yeah, it's 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 almost like this weird bizarro driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, yeah. It, but it, but it looks kind of de- interesting. It does. It looks, I mean, I, I like Mahershala Ali. Oh, I, like, I love Mahershala I, Ali. I love Vigo Mortensen, and and I'm, I really like Vigo Mortensen. And I guess it's an interesting story. Why you say it like that? I just. No, I just feel like it's one of these weird high concept stories that, you know, it looks like it's based on a true story. 
I just feel like absolutely every other black person that was alive at that moment had a more interesting story that, or at least a story I'd be more interested in hearing about. Mm. But, you know, I watch it. I don't know if I'll go to the movies and watch it, but I'm I'm definitely going to watch it. I'll check it out. Yeah. I will check it out. Uh, We, uh, let's see. Sabria Hafiz. Hey, what's up, Sabria? what's up, Sabria? Said, hey, missionaries, more info on our dearly departed uh, queen talking about Candake Amanarinas, the greatest African woman ever. Do you know about this story? I do not. It was a PBS doc that Dr. Henry Gates did in 2017 entitled Great African Civilizations. Uh, And it tells the story of Candake Amarinas, the greatest African woman ever. Who, uh, let's see, Barwa or Nubia uh, was ruled by a dynasty of women who bore the title of Candake or Candace. As she was an empress and a regent, Amarinius distinguished herself by her extraordinary warrior and political skills. After Amarinius came to the throne, uh, our. Amananishkatu and Amaniator. So this is like three women mm-hmm. back to back. Amarinius acceded to the throne after her husband's death, the Emperor Tarictus, in 4196 of the African era, which was about 40 BC. The name of the name of the queen means Amani is her name. Amani is the Nubian name for Imana or Amon, unique god of Africa. It's a, it's, it looks like it's a cool right. story. Yeah, uh, Sabria posted a link that Thank talks you. about the documentary, suggesting that um, you know Danae Guerra, Michonne yeah. of Walking Dead fame, would be great to play this role. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it, and this this is another story we were talking about stories, you know, black right. stories that deserve to be right. made into movies. This is one nobody knows this tale. Nobody knows. I mean, you could almost do this one as a, like a historical fiction. You absolutely and like could. really go wild you with absolutely. It, you know? I, I think I think every sort of pre European contact. African story, you know, whether we're talking about Africa or ancient Kemet has never been touched. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll leave that to listeners for the reasons why. But but I think, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of those stories. The bad thing is when you said when you said, Sabria, put a link about our dearly departed queen. I thought you were about to start talking about Aretha Franklin. Well, I was going. That's where I was leading. Right. Right. To um, because we. Speaking of from one queen yeah. to another queen, yeah, who left us this uh, this week. Oh yeah, Aretha Franklin uh, passed away at the age of seventy six. Yes, um, the, the last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And man, like uh, the, the tributes have been, you know, just pouring in for her for for her this voice of. What last three German generations? Oh easily? yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And as someone who does a, a radio show, 
about soul music. Yeah. Vince, I know you probably have a unique perspective on Aretha Franklin. I mean, you know, I don't know how unique it is because it's it's the perspective that anyone who loves music mm-hmm. has. You know, I think you, you have these these giants right. in popular music that are so giant that they cross genre. Like, like you don't even know what to call them. Right. You, you know, you read the stories about, you, you know, it's a story about her stepping in when Pavarotti couldn't sing. Mm-hmm. You, you know, my favorite story from this week is the one that, that, that comes from, I think, Etta James, the great blues singer. Right. And she talks about hearing Aretha Franklin sing the jazz standard Skylark oh, for the okay. first time. And, and Etta James says that, that she, being Etta James, was in awe of... Sarah Vaughn, mm-hmm. who Skylark was one of her songs. And and this has been, you know, for those of you that don't know, Aretha started out, they didn't really know what to do with her. Right. So for a number of years, she was making these jazz albums that, mm-hmm. you know, they were good, but it wasn't Aretha like we know it. And Etta James talks about hearing this young, this young woman, you know, I think Aretha's maybe 20. Mm-hmm. When she sings Skylark and and she sees Sarah Vaughn and she's like, you know, Sarah Vaughn, you know, who's a giant. Have you heard this girl singing Skylark? And Sarah Vaughn is like, basically, it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And I'm never singing Skylark again. <laughs> so, you know, it's the jazz. It's 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 soul. It's it's gospel. You know, gospel it's pop. I mean, it really is. She really, it, it you know, here's. Here's a crazy thing that I realized. So I realized two things just about my own relationship with Aretha Franklin. So like this past week, obviously, has been sad. But I realized I wasn't as sad as I was when Prince died. Okay. Or even when Michael Jackson died. And those are, you know, those are the two kind of huge deaths. And, and then, you know, when Fife passed a few years ago, that was like just very personal for me. And I realized that part of why I was I feel more at peace about Aretha Franklin passing from the physical realm is that she's such a part of the fabric of of sound and music. It's it's she's almost like a concept. Mm. Like Aretha Franklin is like a concept almost like, like so y- you can't really mourn that because that didn't go anywhere. Right. And, you know, the other thing, you know, I was talking to my friends that we were all talking about. And my brother, appropriately enough, said that part of what made Aretha Franklin so special to people of a certain age, and I'll fold you into this, is that for many of us, Aretha Franklin was the woman that our mothers listened to. Yeah. Like, you know, your dad, dad just sort of listens to everything and he's just sort of dad. But if your mother was listening, like you could gauge your mother's moods by Aretha Franklin. Yeah. And so we were saying, you know, not only was she a queen, she was the voice of queens. Yeah. Like all of the queens in our house would listen to Aretha. Right. So it's it's a it's a great loss. I, I think um you know, for me saying, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to revisit Aretha. Like, there's never been a moment when I haven't listened to Aretha. Mm-hmm. Like, just all the time. Like, like I posted rock. Like, people, everyone's posting their songs. And, like, I submit rock steady. Yeah, I saw that. 
is the blackest song ever made. <laughs> like, like just the, the interaction between Aretha and the singers, Bernard Purdy on the drum breaks. You've got the Memphis horns, mm-hmm. like the whole groove of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you needed some, like, okay, explain to me black people. And right. I'm like, okay, listen to rock steady. Right. So, you know, I'm so happy about that, that, that people are, are kind of listening to it again. And, and it's, it's, it's sad and it's scary. It's scary that so many of these giants are transitioning. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think another reason why you feel a little, well, at least I feel a little bit more at peace about Aretha passing is because you say that she is one of these great giants and she is, but she, she is also, especially as of late. And especially when you mentioned in the, in the passing of Fife and Prince and, and Michael Jackson, she's a giant that has been fully formed. Mm. She, her career, you know, yes. She, was she still out there doing the thing? Yes. But her career was made. Yeah. You know what I mean? She she basically was she was there to be truly the icon, you know. Yeah, Prince and, and Michael, as old as they were, were still very much informative points of their careers. Right. Um, I actually will contend that Michael. I thought that Michael Jackson had one big more phase on his career mm. ahead of him mm-hmm. when he real when he would eventually realize that he was no longer thriller Michael Jackson and then actually made the transition to more mature material. Right. I thought that that was still ahead for Michael Jackson and because that's a journey that I th- thought that Prince was actually in the midst of. Yeah. Like working his way through. Um, but in, in Aretha Franklin, like you said, she, she was a fully formed giant and I think what I took away from her is like, it's funny you say that she's the voice that your mother's listened to. She actually wasn't the voice that my mom listened to. My mom, and that's because I have an older sister. Okay. That's like, you know, like about older, 10 years older than me. Okay. You know, more than 10 years. So, you know, Aretha Franklin was her favorite singer. Okay. You know, and when she would be around the house listening to her music, I could hear the distinct difference between Aretha Franklin and everybody else. Everybody else was good singing. Everybody else was polished singing. Everybody else was, you know, spot on R&B with a touch of soul. But there was very few things coming from the radio or from the record player that just thunderstruck you in the heart with their soul, with the power of their voice and their spirit. And just made you feel what they were they were singing when I was growing up. And Aretha Franklin was was foremost that voice for me. I could hear the difference between Aretha Franklin and every other singer that my sister played, be they woman or man. And and I grew up uh, learning to. Appreciate that difference. Appreciate that you know, you know, like there's good R and B, there's good soul, but there, then there's Aretha, and there's a reason why she is the voice of a generation, and there's a reason why there are actually 
very few that have followed in her wake, you know, that have just taken on being the voices of the generation that they owned. You could argue that, because to my mind, no way... You know, I, I always I feel that way about Mary J. Blige. I feel right. like Mary J. Blige is like the voice of that generation, and it's and it's fiercely, as much as you know, Mary J. Her heyday was you know maybe what ten twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. She's still a very viable force in the music industry now because of how true she is to herself and in her singing. And I've always felt that was true of Aretha Franklin. And that would, that's what I've always appreciated about her. Um, and also I always appreciated that she seemed like a woman who was not, who would, who would one suffer no fools. No. And was 100% authentic Every time you saw her. Well, you know, I think the other thing that has been coming out, just just her activism. Yes. You, you know, it's, yes. It, it's like, you know, it's that great clip that, that I've seen several times about her wanting to pay Angela Davis's bail. A bail, right. When she was on run. And, you know, I've heard I've heard uh, Reverend Jackson and Al Sharpton both talk about the fact that she went on tour mm-hmm. because the the SNCC or SCLC, the civil rights movement basically needed money. Yep. And she went and got it for him. So, I mean, just, just, I, I think that's a really good point that you made that, that she had, she has, she had completed her artistic journey mm-hmm. and, and, you know, even stuff like the 80s stuff is, you know, those who's zoom and who is not a bad album. It's not like, it's not a, like, like obviously, well, you know, I think that the albums that Aretha made between 1968 and um, like all, I think Hey Hey, Hey um, Hey Hey Now, her last her album she made with Quincy Jones is like 77. Mm-hmm. So like I think from I think it's I never loved the man the way I loved you is her first one of those Atlantic albums, all the way up to Hey Now, Hey Hey Now is the finest run of albums ever made. And Ooh. I know, I know. Ooh, I'm, I, I'm not. I, I love me some Aretha Franklin. Um, I understand Stevie Wonder. I yeah, understand man. Prince. I understand. Every, I think that is the finest run of albums, pound Ooh. for pound, Ooh. ever made. Ooh. And what I always say about your favorite singer, like if your singer could sing backup for Aretha Franklin. Between sixty nine and seventy seven, that's a singer. Oh, that's true. So, that's but true. but yeah, it's it's it she'll, she'll be missed. She will, but in a lot of ways she won't be because she hasn't gone anywhere. She ain't you going. Know, all hail the queen. All hail. Let's get into tap. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, 
hosted by comedians Jaquiz Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top 5s like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh, what's the best way to eat a taco? Vince, with your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. So just about the time I felt like I was going over the edge, I started to hear these combinations. I started to move with it. Kid's a quitter. Always been a quitter. What has he been now, two or three years? He came that close to being a star. You screwed up yourself. Did you see that Max is back? I am. What is it, Max? Money? I'm not like my father. I'm not winding up with nothing. You're just too angry and stubborn to see what's right in front of you. It's not even tap dancing. I just thought you might be interested in seeing what the real stuff looks like. Your trade out in the streets. What you gonna do, sit around and tell stories about the golden days of tap dancing? You got people who love you. I mean, how much is that worth, Max? He was something to watch. It's good. We're talking about the future. The one guy who can do it has his tap shoes back on after all these years. I don't do it like everyone else. Remember? It's a 1989 dance drama written and directed by Nick Castle, starring Gregory Hines, Sammy Davis Jr., Suzanne Douglas, and Joe Morton, and featuring music by James Newton Howard, cinematography by David Gribble, and Imprography. Improvography. Imprography by Gregory Hines. This movie tells the story of Max Washington, played by Hines, just released from prison after serving time for burglary. However, while being a, a noted second story man, he is also a talented tap dancer. And he feels the call from both worlds tugging at him as he struggles to figure out what he's going to do on his next step. This film also features a very young Savion Glover. Yes, it does. As well as well as um, Terrence McNally and in a in 
supporting roles, supporting cameos, it features some of the foremost veteran dancers of the day, such as Arthur Duncan, Bunny Briggs, Howard Sandman Sims, Steve Condis, Jimmy Slide, and the incomparable Harold <laughs> Nicholas. How you like them legs? this film was Vince's selection for this stop on the Michelle mission so what say you Vince of tap well let's just start here if you listen to our show for cold detached sober deliberate critique you just skip over everything I'm going to say I I can't be this film I th- I think I actually grinned through this whole movie. Really? Like I grinned through this whole movie. We mentioned last week there's a scene that we have to talk about, a scene where the veteran dancers actually dance. Mm-hmm. That that you know I said I I've watched it a million times. It's it's actually in my top 5 favorite moments of cinema. Like I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. And I I I've not watched this movie like in its entirety in probably 15 years. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I, I like the part and we'll see how the, they build the movie around the part. And, and, and that part is early on. And the part is early on, right? Like, like, you, you know, Nick Castle, who I have to say part of, of my affection for this movie is the direction and the choices that he makes. Mm-hmm. He very, I mean, it's it's a brave move to put this scene so early, right? Because you are thinking, uh, okay, you you still got an hour and and forty minutes left because mm-hmm. it's you know this is almost a two hour movie, mm-hmm. and I think I was surprised by how well this film holds up, and I think the film held up for me because of the performances. Okay. You know, obviously, you know, we're talking about the Hoofers. Obviously, we'll talk about Gregory Hines and and Sammy Davis Jr. But I think this is a nice cast. Yeah. Joe Morton has a turn as as basically Gregory Hines' um, rival. Right. Dare I say, you know, it's almost this family brother uh, connection they have. Right. Dick Anthony Williams has one scene. Dick Anthony Williams is one of these fantastic character actors that, you know, all you need to know about Dick Anthony Williams and his range is that his two favorite roles that he's had, for me, he played Mr. Pretty Tony, who was the rival pimp in the Mac. Right. And he played Bleak Gilliam's father in Mo' Better Blues. Oh, yeah. Those are my two favorite roles of his. So he has this kind of presence that he brings to this role very quickly in one scene. Suzanne Douglas, I've always been a fan of Suzanne Douglas. And and I always wanted Suzanne Douglas, I won't say do more, because apparently she was on the parenthood for years. Which actually ran for years. Which ran for years, and I realized yeah. I've not seen one episode of the parenthood. 
Yeah, me neither. But I like Suzanne Douglas. You know, she's one of these great 80s actors. Um, you know, she sings, she dances, mm-hmm. she acts like like she's this full package. Young Savion Glover. Savion Glover doesn't do a lot of acting. Like right. we think about Savion Glover and obviously we think about dancing. This is our second Savion Glover film because he was also in Bamboozled. What? Much later. In- Much later in his career. Samuel Glover is a nice little actor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a kid actor, he does really well. Sandman Sims, I forgot he was an act that he had a role in this. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought Sandman was just part of the Hoofers. The Hoofer course. Right. But he and Sammy Davis Jr. have this nice little camaraderie yeah. that you see throughout the scenes. And then the whole thing is sort of anchored by Gregory Hines. Right. And Gregory Hines is is just, you know, I don't know if Hollywood really knew what to do with him. Because he was so good at so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he's a dancer. Gregory Hines has a lot of charisma. Yes. You know, sort of leading man charisma. Yes. Gregory Hines is funny. Yes. You know, not only is he funny as far as delivering a line, but he has this physical comedy to him as well when he wants to. Yes. Sammy Davis Jr. We got to talk about Sammy Davis Jr. This is his last role. I think it's fair to say he's all like he's dying. Like Sammy Davis Jr. would be dead the year after this film comes out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was trying to look up the exact dates and months. He is diagnosed with this very aggressive throat cancer in 89. So he's already sort of. He has diminished capacity, if you will. Mm -hmm. But even if he does, there's something about Sammy Davis when he is in a role frankly, with other black people. Mm -hmm. Because I think about this role, I think about his role in um, Porgy and Bess. Mm. You know, there's there's an episode of the Cosby show that he was on that then he and Bill Cosby actually had like this, where there's this mischief to Sammy Davis Jr.'s Jr.'s um, performance, mm-hmm. where he's almost like a trickster character, right? That when he's in the Rat Pack films, when he's in the films, you know, throughout this, you know, the Man with the Golden Glove, and 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 these sort of films where he's almost the representative of the race. Yeah, he can't really. He doesn't to, have the room to, to do, do all of these different right. things, and I think the note that I took that I underline a couple of times is that pedestrian material is elevated when you have great performers. The storyline again is another one of those movies within 10 minutes, you see where this is going. Yeah. And, and you know, all of the reviews say that in a lot of ways, this has the sensibility of a musical Yep, where, you know, the, the, the plot points and, and, you know, even, even with him being, a cat burglar like the stakes are never really that high mm-hmm. and you kind of follow it through but it works like it works so well and and you know back to Nick Castle's direction I like some of the choices he makes with the blocking I don't know how much Gregory Hines was involved in in the shooting of the dance scenes right but the dance scenes 
are great, especially Heinz's dancings, mm-hmm. where when they say, you know, he is this gifted dancer, you believe it. Not just because it's Heinz playing him, but because the film captures it. It's another one of these 89 films, which, you know, maybe we need to talk about 89. You know, this is the year of glory and this is the year of driving Miss Daisy. And and there are those sort of those sort of sepia tones Mm -hmm. that you see, certainly when he's shooting the hoofers and when he's shooting, you, you know, there's this 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 whole ongoing bit about the third floor of the building mm-hmm. that only the hoofers go to and the and the third floor is always shot in this kind of light sepia tone that it's it's heavenly yeah but it works and and i just really enjoyed this film as a film much more than i expected to i was very pleasantly surprised there's a scene in this uh, one you're right it does have the feel of a musical and of which I usually am a, not a big musical fan right so um so but knowing that it's got that feel you know you just you're either in or you're you're not right with it but there's a scene much like as happens in every musical where a bunch of people get together and lo and behold, we're going to ha- do a number. Yes. And this number takes place in the streets. Mm-hmm. And everybody piles in the streets. And, you know, through the energy of the scene, know where they're going for this great big dancing that's going to take place more or less in the streets in this construction area. And there's a moment in this scene where, as has happened in all the great musicals, you know, where a scene, a, a musical number is just going to all of a sudden pop out. You know, someone has you know, uh, magically appeared with musical instruments. Right. This time it is the guys from the club, from where hence everyone came, dragging said instruments <laughs> Including the piano, right across the street to the construction area, and there's a moment where the band leader is getting the sense of everybody as they're, they're getting they're getting ready and they're getting their hoofing on. Wants to set up all his performers, and he wants to set them up for you know all right, this is what we're going to play. This is what I'm feeling, and it's kind of like you know it's like hot out. So there's like a, a like a mist on like this storefront window, and he wipes it clear, <laughs> and he takes his three fingers to make the lines of which he will then write out on the window with his finger the notes that he wants his his guys to play. This is a scene straight out of a 1940s musical. I mean, right. it, it, I mean, it literally could have been. I cannot tell you how much that one little instance gave me so much glee. <laughs> when he did that, I was like, that's a real cute. Let's get me. You know what? I feel him because this movie is Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> that beep at the 45 mark was me making a mistake. <laughs> this, movie, this movie is real infectious. Yeah. It's just real affection. You talked about how you were watching this movie with a smile on your face. 
I was watching this movie with a smile on my face too. I was watching this movie and I was like, eh, just, like I can't believe it. I'm really enjoying this movie. Like, oh my, like, cause, like, first of all, I'm a, I'm a unabashed Gregory Hines fan. Mm-hmm. I think Gregory Hines was maybe one of the ten most talented people that I've ever come across in my in my in my life as far as watching movies and TV and stuff like that. Like sure. you said, the man could do everything. I never saw Gregory Hines doing something bad. Right. Maybe he wasn't bad stuff, but he was never bad. So I'm so I'm there. And from the opening of this movie when you see him in this jail cell and he wins over all of these inmates as he is hoofing in his jail cell in the middle of the night. And they go from, you know, like, yo, man, we try to sleep to let the brother dance. <laughs> right. And you totally buy in. Never mind that he's sitting in the jail cell and he has tap shoes. Right. Okay. He, he kind of explains how he got them. Never mind that he's sitting in the jail cell and he's got two earrings on. Right. They usually don't let that slide. Right, right, right. But you know what? I didn't care. Right. Because, you know, I am also a fan and marvel at the ability of tap dancers. Mm-hmm. Because tap dancers, they will tap for one minute and I'm tired. I'm like, I don't know how y'all doing this. with clicking y'all, feel, y'all heels like this. Right. And that man is just going at it. Um, and also, you could see when you watch Gregory Hines in this movie and even when he's with the hoofers, um, you could see that in the, in the world of uh, tap and hoofing, and dance because you even see it when he's going out for uh, auditions that Gregory Hines was like uh, 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 he's like the millennium man compared to everyone else right he's a physical specimen yeah you know you just watch the ripples of the man's of his back and his arms as he gets into it like this this man this this man was built to do whatever the hell he wants and he just happens to y'all lucky he's just choosing dancing right because he could kill us all right you know <laughs> right um so i'm I, i'm so i'm buying in on that and then i too like you I've always been a fan of Suzanne Douglas. Mm-hmm. I thought I think Suzanne Douglas is a very uh, subtle actress, which is what I like. Right. Uh, I think Suzanne Douglas has a presence, so that even even when she's given not much to do, as she was given in the Parenthood, she still come it still comes across. Mm-hmm. She still gets a point across. Um, so seeing her here young, but I never knew that she was a dancer. Okay. So there was a part of me that when I'm watching this movie, there's a part of me waiting for her dance numbers because they, they play her up as a dancer and waiting for the, okay, this is when the trick photography is going to come right. in and they're, you're going to see somebody else. Right. But no, she's right there dancing with like a, a, a couple of other like lady hoofers dancing step to step with Gregory Hines in a scene on top of a rooftop that easily could have been, you know, um, uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Yeah. Uh, she, she was, she's right there step for step and she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. Yes, she is. Um, so, so there's that. Sammy Davis Jr. 
has long been one of my idols. So even here in his diminished capacity, it was just fun to watch him. It's fun to watch him with his peers. Harold Nicholas, I'll say this. <laughs> this is actually the movie that introduced me to Harold Nicholas. Okay. I knew of the Nicholas brothers, but I never put the two and two together until I saw this movie. Okay. Like, oh, that's that, that, that little dude. Right. You know what I mean? It, it, look at him. Look, I mean, like, yo, that boy can still, he can still, he can, that man is a freak of nature. He is a freak of nature. And then Sandman Sims, you talk about, like, you forgot that he was an actor. I only knew Sandman, like, you know, from the Apollo. Right, right. You know right, what I mean? Right. So I didn't know he really was a dancer. Oh, yeah. So when I'm seeing him dance, I'm like, okay, Sandman. I see what you're doing there. Oh, you're the real deal now. I, I, see, I got much more respect. This gave put res, I re, put respect on his name because of this movie. You right. know what I mean? This, the 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 cinematography, like you said, the, the direction of it is is perfect because you can appreciate all of the dancing. You can see them full body. Right. You know, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the difference between this film. And the Wiz, you can appreciate oh. all of the dancing yes. in this movie. Even in that scene, like I said, where it's this great big scene that happens in the street. That is an improbable musical number that happens in the middle of this movie. But by then, you're bought into it and you don't care. You just right, get into right, it. Right. And I was there. I was into it. People dancing on top of on top of like spirals of cable uh, uh, of cable. People dancing on the, on the sidewalks. People dancing on forklifts. And you still you're buying into it. You don't lose any of the, of the geography of the scene. You can appreciate where everybody is in in relation to everybody else. You can feel the energy of the dancing and the music. It makes perfect sense in a way with this story. I think it's very interesting. I think it's really cool about that. You know, they talk about him, uh, Gregory Hines' character, Max Washington having his father's legs because his father, Sonny Washington, was a, was a noted hoofer right. uh, uh, of these men. But it was more so it was more so that he had his ear and that he could hear the hear music everywhere. Right. And the tell is that because that's where he starts hoofing in the, in the beginning of the movie. It's right. just from a, a drop drop from the sink. Here, he just hear a, a taxi running over a metal plate in the street and that just starts starts up this crazy scene. And yet you are still you are invested in that scene. You are right there. You can appreciate all of the dancing. There's one little bit that Gregory Hines does was like three dudes on a sidewalk. It's maybe about 2 minutes of basically the same step. But it's just phenomenal choreography and timing and popping it. Everything in this movie pops. The, the other thing this movie does smartly is it, it puts it out there that he's a crook and that he's being tugged by the by the by the other side of his life to pull like this one last job. Right. And that's where Joe Morton comes in. Right. Who basically is like like you said, as much as they are rivals, you can you could feel yeah. a brotherly yeah. you know camaraderie but be, be, between them. You know, every once in a while you gotta punch your brother out. That, but yeah. you know, there's a brother there's a brotherhood there right. as well. But the movie also smartly while having that there it doesn't go for the obvious and making that some like some like the a whole other half of the movie right a lot of the movie goes by and you forget that this is on you know coming right and then when it does come it actually goes against type 
in a way you kind of see the end the ending of that part coming but it's still in any other movie it wouldn't have gone that way right it would have gone another way so it smartly does it it, it, it so it smartly uses that what could have been the b plot as the as a very cool C plot, and I and I appreciated that a lot about this movie, and and that way it doesn't take away from the lightness of this movie, which with something that could have been very hard and dark, right? You know, um, my one quibble with the movie is that it's a movie that stands up, the music doesn't stand up. The, like, oh the, yeah, that eighties synthesized mu- music, like. It really grates on my ear. However, because it's in combined with such an old school tradition of tap, and therefore, and because of that, you have to have, you know, um, bits of jazz and true, uh, true musicianship in there. Right. Otherwise, the tap doesn't, doesn't flow. That tinniness is not there. It, it's it's very slight. It's not a whole lot of it there, and therefore it doesn't take me totally out of the movie. And therefore, I can just enjoy this movie for the time capsule of Gregory Hines yeah. that it truly is. Yeah, and and you know, speaking of time capsule, I mean, we got to talk about the scene. Yes. So you know, there's a scene that that we've been referencing where basically. Sammy Davis Jr.'s character is trying to convince Gregory Hines' character to come back completely to the world of dance. They go back and forth. Gregory Hines inadvertently disrespects <laughs> the older dancers and yes. says, you know, they don't have legs. And 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 it unfolds into this amazing scene. Yeah, man. Of all of these dancers who were all hoofers, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not for nothing, every man in this scene is in his 60s. At least. A few of them are in their 70s. Yes. You know, we mentioned Sammy Davis Jr. We mentioned Harold Nicholas of the Nicholas Brothers. Um, Jimmy Slide yeah. is another one of these old dancers. Jimmy Slide was a bad bro, man. Sam, you, you know, we, we talked Sam, about Sam, Sam and Sims. And... It is extraordinary. It is. It is extraordinary watching these men dance mm-hmm. and enjoy each other's talent and mm-hmm. revel in each other's talent. Because let's be, you know, very clear. I think we are living in uh, you know, appropriately enough, a post Savion Glover tap sensibility. Yeah, where where I don't think it's it's you know crazy to say that we have respect for tap dancers in this and but in 1989 the art of tap was still it was it it still had this a stink on it if you will like like you you know we when when people talked about people shucking and jiving and and you know and this and they talk about a little bit in the movie where you know the tap dancers always had to smile mm-hmm. and. This was a wonderful moment where these men could just dance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually spent a couple of days trying to look up some information to see how much of that scene was choreographed and how much of it was improvised. Mm -hmm. Because the sheer joy that the men get from watching each other is infectious. Yeah. And it feels like 
they didn't honestly know what each other was going to do to a certain extent. Yeah. Like, like, you know, we're going to have this moment. We're going to say challenge. Everybody's going to get their turn. This is the order that we're going to go in and now go. Yeah. But there are these moments within, like I mentioned, you know, Harold Nicholas, of course, still an extraordinary dancer. Yeah. And, you know, in, in his 60s and, and, he, and he mimics the, the, the great moment where, you know, he and his brother jump into the split. And he comes up and goes over to Gregory Hines and says very because Gregory Hines at the beginning of the scene says that the men don't have legs anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, basically saying they're too old to dance. And Gregory Hines, I mean, Harold Nicholas comes over and says, how you like them legs? Right. And the two of them laugh and it seems like a genuine laugh. Yeah. You know, when, when they're tapping, there's a moment where Sammy Davis goes, whoo! And it seems like he's genuinely amazed oh yeah by again the 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 power and 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 the talent and the gifts of these men with each other and then it ends with gregory hines and sammy davis jr dancing together and every single solitary interview that gregory hines ever gave he talked about how much he admired Sammy Davis Jr. He looked up to Sammy Davis Jr. And he loved Sammy Davis Jr. And and it was reciprocated. Mm-hmm. You know, frankly, I think, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. might be, I know you said he was your favorite, or one of them was your favorite. See, he might be my favorite entertainer. Okay. Because of his history and everything that he went through. And I think Sammy Davis Jr., at this point where he's thinking about his legacy, like the last 10, 15 years of his life, Mm-hmm. I think his legacy of being a tap dancer, he wasn't necessarily at as much peace with that part as he was the rest of his legacy yeah. because of what people said about tap dance. And to have Gregory Hines love that part and, and honor that part and, and say that to him, you you know, again, I think this script is not as good as I think it is. I just think that these characters, I mean, these 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 performers playing these characters brought so much to it mm-hmm. so that the relationship between Mo and Max, mm-hmm. even if it's on if, if it's not on the page as much, that love is 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 it's it just warms the entire screen. It does. Every time Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis Jr. are together and. It's just a beautiful scene. Like I think, I think everyone should watch this movie. But I also think everyone, like as soon as they finish listening to this, Google tap challenge scene. Yeah, and just watch those seven minutes mm-hmm. because it it's extraordinary. It really is. It's well done. I wouldn't be surprised if the way that it was shot was that uh, because a lot of it is shot. A lot of the challenge is shot from Gregory Hines' point of view. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't shot in in more or less one continuous take, mm-hmm. and then the um, the reaction shots of Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis. I think they just went in after the fact, right? Because it, because you just had to let these these brothers go, right? And you you don't. And just let them just just live and just set your cameras up. You know, you want a camera here, you want a camera there. All right, y'all go. Right, y'all go, and and we'll we'll trust me, we'll put it all together. Um, I think I think as light of 
a movie as this is story wise. I think we do owe it to give some credit, however, to the writer and director, Nick Castle, because as a, you know, let's put it out there as a white guy Mm -hmm. who heretofore was primarily known for uh, working with John Carpenter in helping to write Escape from New York and Halloween. Right. For which he played Michael Myers. Wow. In the movie. I did not see that about him. So (laughs) with those credits. (laughs) Right, 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 right. For him to then write and direct a movie celebrating hoofers of yesterday and heretofore today. Yeah. I think he deserves a whole lot of credit. Look, again, I, I think his direction is, I mean, just the fact that he captured this. Yeah, I think you, know, I mean, you have to say it's this amazing. is a time. This, yeah, you know, outside of like you said, you you can you can Google this cha- this scene on the um on YouTube, and YouTube does have plenty of you know uh, a footage of a lot of these dancers in their heyday. Yes, but yes. a lot of that film is of varying quality. Yeah, uh, so for him to then put together this this film that without any singing really except yeah. for the, the 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 closing song by Gregory Hines right um <laughs> the man sings stuff. I was about to say cuz why not <laughs> you know what i mean I also sing <laughs> um i also bake these beautiful cookies <laughs> with, with except for that this really is a great 80s musical in that there are numbers, there are yeah. dance numbers that stand out. There are there are performances that 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 stand out. Um, it really is a celebration of that. In many in in, in some ways, it's it, it's even a celebration of spy movies because every time you saw Gregory Hines, I I kept remembering this dude is a thief, but he looked like he was dressed like like you know if like if like Cary Grant's character in it. It it uh it takes a thief yeah was a hoofer he would have been de- yeah. dressed like Gregory Hines well you know again back to the theme of Gregory Hines could do everything the scene where they show him breaking into the jewelry store and he's basically doing parkour mm-hmm. in 1989 mm-hmm. you realize that physically it's believable it is that th- well yes this is yes. somebody. Who could have been a cat burglar? Yeah, because he shimmies up the side effortlessly, and and so that you realize that I think you said at the very beginning, like, and it, it's funny because when you read about Gregory Hines and his relationship to tap dancers and hoofers, there people had some anxiety, you know, because you you know he was he was on Broadway and they left Broadway that he was going to do other stuff mm-hmm. because he did everything super well right. and gregory hines would tell him you know in my heart i'm a hoofer i'm never going to leave this behind right but you can see why people thought he might yeah because he could do like like it wasn't just the physicality in the tap dancing he just had this this form that he could do everything including being a cat burglar yeah so you know, it's it's just you know, Savion Glover has this great little scene. He does. Like they give him this great little scene, and you basically see the future. Like yep. you're talking about a yep. time capsule. Yep. The whole scene 
dancing in the street. He's like, this is just bringing the noise, bringing the funk mm-hmm. six years earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and even um, the work that Savion Glover has done on his own. And you see this wonderful continuum yeah. of dance in this film. It, it really is just, uh, you know, the other thing that I wanted to say about the challenge scene and why I was sort of curious about how much of it was planned mm-hmm. and how much of it, you know, they just brought it to it. There is still the competition part. Okay. Like there still is it's still competitive. And, and, you know, I say that because I really just wanted to tell like my one of my favorite stories. Like the other thing that I always watch again, Sammy Davis Jr. is diagnosed with this throat cancer mm-hmm. in 89. He dies in 1990. 1989, they do a special. I think maybe even 1990 they do this special uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of Sammy Davis Jr. in show business. I think it is 90 because I think they did that not long before he before actually he died. died. And everyone knows what this is. Like, yeah. Everyone knows we're just giving him his flowers while he's here. Exactly. And there's this beautiful moment at the end where, of course, Gregory Hines yes. ends it. Yes. And and Gregory Hines, you, you know, again, just pours his heart out and tells Sammy Davis how much he loves him and this, that, and the other. He does a number in Sammy Davis's honor. And then at the very end, he goes and he hugs Sammy Davis. And Sammy Davis has not talked the whole thing because, again, he has throat cancer and it's, you know, they're doing chemo and he can't talk. Yeah. He whispers something in Gregory Hines' ear. Gregory Hines, because I love black people, Gregory Hines looks to Sammy's wife. Alta Vise and basically says, is this okay? Alta Vise gives him a nod. They put Sammy Davis's shoes on and yep. then Sammy Davis and Gregory Hines dance together. Yep. And when you watch it, you can see, because Gregory Hines talked about this in interviews, where you know Gregory Hines tells the band, okay, we're going to keep it light and this, that, and the other because, well, Sammy Davis Jr. is dying. <laughs> yes. So, easy. Right. Gregory Hines does a little bit Sammy Davis Jr. does soft a little, bit, the the little soft shoe. Yeah. And they're starting this, you know, this this challenge culture. Yep. But you realize that as the seconds go by, Sammy Davis Jr. is actually dancing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Gregory Hans talks about how he had to step it up. Yeah. Because Sammy Davis Jr. is in his 60s. Sammy Davis Jr. is going to be dead within a matter of months. This is still Sammy Davis Jr., though. Mm-hmm. And you're on the stage with him, and you're tap dancing in front of him, or you're hoofing in front of him, and that means that I got to bring it to you. Yeah. And if you don't bring it, you're about to get embarrassed on this stage. That's right. The camaraderie, the respect, the talent, the gifts, it's all there. Yeah. And then, you know, at the very end, of course, Gregory Hines literally nods at his feet mm-hmm. because... It's Sammy Davis Jr. Right. So I think it's a wonderful, like, like it, it's, a, it's a wonderful time capsule of the dancers. I think it's a wonderful time capsule of Sammy Davis Jr. Like, I'm so happy that they caught him at this moment. I am, too. Um, I'm also happy that they caught Gregory Hines at this moment. Because the sad thing of it is, is that you do have a, a very young Savion Glover uh, in this film. And, you know... I make, you know, I don't know anything about the dance world in large. 
right now. Right. Um, so I'm sure that there are more than a few notable names that have followed in Savion Glover's, you know, fame in, right. in, 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 in his wake. Um, whose names, like, I just don't know. They're not right, known right, to me. Right. Maybe if I was in those circles, they would be known to me. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that those hoofers, while I may not have known all of their names and not all of their names were like, you know, household names, you certainly knew a couple of them. One or two sure. of them. You knew Sam Ann Sims. You certainly knew the Nicholas Brothers. You knew Jimmy Slide. Yeah. Uh, Savion Glover, you know, unfortunately, you know, by the time he, he is rising to his true prominence and at the, at the height of his powers... You know, all, unfortunately, all of those men are are gone, yeah, or on their way to be gone, and unfortunately, so is Gregory Hines. Way too soon, yeah, way, way surprisingly, yeah, too soon. It happened fast. It seemed like it happened fast, very fast, yeah. And that, to me, is like the biggest shame. Is that someone like say like like Gregory Hines won't be able to share that moment with Savion Glover, right? You know, right? Uh, or 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 for no other reason, just to appear in some movie or appear all of a sudden, all of a sudden he does a walk on in Hamilton. You right, know what I mean, right, or, or right. something. You know, just to really celebrate the the majesty of what of what he is, or or or. You know, let's let's put it out there. We were talking about Aretha Franklin and how she she was a fully formed giant. Gregory Hines didn't have the opportunity to fully form yeah. his career. I will I will say this 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 may help a bit. In two thousand one, Gregory Hines starred in the um Bill Bojangles Robinson story on oh, did Showtime. He? And there's I I I I I fell down a Gregory Hines rabbit hole early this afternoon. Apparently, Bojangles, his type of tap dancing, there was a, a person who came after him. Uh, I, I forget his name. He was half of a group, Bubbles and something. Mm-hmm. But Bubbles, like, 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 Bojangles danced on his toes. Yes. Which was his big thing. And then Bubbles revolutionized tap dancing, and he started dancing on his heel and toe. Okay. Which allowed him to dance much faster. Right. And then that's the tap dance that most of us know about. There's a scene in the Bojangles film, again, that where, where Gregory Hines is playing, mm-hmm. Bill Bojangles Robinson. Savion Glovers plays Bubbles. Oh, okay. That's- and they dance together. And Savion Glover is now a, you know, a grown man. I mean, I mean, I don't know how old he was in 2003, but, you know, he's probably 18, 19 years old. So there's that. And that's a nice little scene, too. That oh, is also cool. available on the interwebs. Oh, that's cool. I will have to look that up because yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah. So. I vaguely remember watching it when it was on, but I don't really remember it. But I, I looked at that scene earlier because, like you, I was thinking about that. And it was nice to see the two of them dancing with Savion Glover closer to being an adult than not. And that's cool. because yeah. And that was 2001 and Gregory Hines died in 2003. Exactly. So. Exactly. And that's cool. So. So would you recommend to have- I really would. So would I. I really, really would. And and again, I, I think I think this is three movies. And I think nineteen eighty nine was a fascinating year. Yeah. I think eighty nine was a fascinating year. I mean, we have obviously haven't done do the right thing yet. But 
there was a apparently it was a lot of really interesting work being done in '89. Mm-hmm. So I would absolutely recommend Tap. And you know, dare I say, Tap is a film that I think is due for rediscovery. Yeah, because I think it ages well. I, I do. I, I think outside it of that, ages th- th- well. That little bit of music, and like I right. said, you can forgive that. You right. know, it's a product of his time. You know, just across the board. You know, I, I've mentioned the performances. There's there's another character played by um Terrence McNally. Is he the is he the producer, the Broadway producer? Ooh. Oh, I'm not sure because I know Terrence McNally is in it. I'm not sure that whole rolling place. Uh, let me see real quick. It's hard because when you look up the cast, they rightfully put all of the um dancers. Yeah, up, like kind of up, up front there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Terrence McNally is yes, yes. He plays the producer. He's great. He is. He's spot great. on. He has a couple. Like he's just smarmy enough. Mm-hmm. Like there's this sort of faint hint of racism about him. Like he's a great character. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, we talked. There's a scene where Jeffrey Hines has to basically audition mm-hmm. for a role, and he tells him, "Why don't you just smile just a little bit more?" And it's 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 pitch perfect. It's pitch perfect. But I will disagree with you about the hint of racism. I think it's easy to maybe read that into him, but I actually don't think that's what it, what's going on. Okay, there because because I think he. Because he's the producer who's putting on this 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 um, Broadway show that's been a hit for three years. Well, yeah, but it's, they're about these putting it on the road edition. Yeah. that they're going to do, and he's hired you know Suzanne Douglas character to kind of like uh, choreograph right the whole thing. Um, so I think that uh, goes against the the mark of of you know the charge of racism. I think what's happening in that scene is that. In his own way, and maybe he overdoes it a little bit, but in his own way, he's trying to show up Gregory Hines oh. for, for two reasons. One, because Gregory Hines tried to show him up first right. by like right, not dancing right. his routine, right. dancing his own, his own thing. And then two, Gregory played him for a chump at the club. Right, because they're both kind of interested in Suzanne. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, he was and if I had been played the way that Gregory played me at the at the club, and now Gregory is in front of me more or less vying for a job. Same thing. I might have been been moved to give him a little bit of butt the kiss. Well I liked him. No, I, I liked him. Yeah, I liked I, I liked just, his performance. Right. I'm just saying I don't yeah. see the racism. I, I think, think it's, it's more that. Is, 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 I think it's in there. Yeah, is, is in I, there. I think it's more that than that. And I think Gregory Hines sort of talking about the world of dance and Broadway and 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 I, sidebar. I love when Sammy Davis Jr. would talk about Broadway shows. Yeah, like this disdain he had for it. See, I like that, but there's a part of me that also didn't like the two of them doing that. And I'm glad you brought this up because, um, because to me, they're talking against what their one daughter to love interest is doing. Right. She was choreographing this show, you know? So how you may feel about it in general is one thing, 
But why you got to come at this show? You know she's going to be doing This is her. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that perspective. So you see it as almost disrespectful of her. To a degree. Especially when he... Especially, like, like Sammy saying that crap. And, and if I remember, I don't think he says it in front of her a whole lot. He doesn't. He I doesn't. think he more says it to, like, to right, his boys right. and to Greg. And, but he does Greg tell Hyde. her, don't waste his time with this. True. Yeah. But even still... That's in the house. Right. That's between the two of them. Right. You know, I still think it's a little dis- disrespectful because you know she's putting her heart and soul into this. Right. And you know it's not like she doesn't know dance. She teaches a, a, a dance class in this crappy little s- school. Right. You know, I'm keeping this thing going. But for Gregory Hines to pull that mm-hmm. in front of her when he's actually you know impressing her coming down there to audition right and and then to to talk that smack about what he knows she's putting together i'm like yo dude like you can you can like check yourself for a mi- for a minute bro that's a very good point point all right i hadn't thought about that i like it cuz it complicates his character a little bit too yeah yeah so he's not just a lovable rogue no 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 yeah he's a little bit of, he's a little bit of a butt yeah you know what I mean? But uh But yeah, I'd absolutely recommend but it. But I'd recommend seeing a movie. And you would recommend it as well. I recommend seeing a movie. Okay. Can I be a man for a minute? Uh-uh. I know we got in trouble on the last show for being a man at the beginning of the show. We've been, at least we've, this one is at the end. As you 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 gonna talk about Suzanne Douglas? One particular thing about Suzanne Douglas. <laughs> Cause I've always been a, a huge fan of Suzanne she's Douglas. Fun. She's a very good looking woman. Yeah, she is. But there's one aspect of Suzanne Douglas that made me fall in love with Suzanne Douglas. I bet I know what it is. I wish I had a note card. I could write it down. Go ahead. Well, well I'll, uh, what do you think it is? I thought you were going to say her lips? To a degree, yes. Yeah. But it's not just that. I like that as an actress, mm-hmm. every time I've seen her, when she has a kissing scene, mm-hmm. she kisses with her mouth open. Yeah. Yes, Lord. She's she's. There's a moment... So there's a moment in the scene where the hoofers are dancing, where her character comes up and looks at them yeah. through the window, and her mouth opens just a little bit, and it's it's actually sensuous. It is. And it's like, wow. Yes. But again, I think even that speaks to the talent that we've talked about with the whole cast, where she's such a consummate performer. Mm-hmm. That a small detail like that, yep, she is aware of. She knows how to play it, and it comes across. Yeah, so that in a scene like that, which you, you know, again, this is the highlight of the film. This is the showcase. She still has her own moment. Yeah, within it. So, yay, man, Suzanne. You, you know, Suzanne Douglas is in. Um, she's part of my inkwell. Talk. Is she? She's part of my Inkwell TED Talk. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. Brown Thighs, colon, an Inkwell TED Talk by Vincent Williams. Brown Thighs? Yeah, because everybody's wearing bathing suits in the Inkwell. Yes. So, I'm a fan. Is she in the Inkwell? She is very much. She plays Joe Morton's wife, actually. And Lorenz Tate's mother. I, I I need to see the inkwell again. Yeah. I need to see that. It's been mm-hmm. a minute. Huh. Vanessa Bell Calloway plays her sister-in-law. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh. And A.J. Johnson plays 
the woman who is on the vineyard and she and Lorenz Tate have an inappropriate relationship. And Phyllis Stickney plays a psychiatrist <laughs> that, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, the Inkwell, Inkwell is not playing. Maddie Rich was not playing. <laughs> Maddie Rich was actually killing them in the Inkwell. I see. I see, I see, I see. Well, that's tap, ladies and gentlemen. It is streaming uh, on a streaming service. It is. You. It is. Uh, so check it out. It is well worth the uh, the sit. The time will melt away. It yeah. is almost two hours, but it. W- I swear to you, it will melt it, 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 away. It really does. I looked up in an hour and 15 minutes that passed. It's a good movie to just sit and watch, eat some popcorn or yeah. sit and whiff it, somebody and just sit and chill and watch. Yeah, like I said, I grinned through the whole thing. It's a really good film. It really just made me happy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we tell you what's going to be next on the Michelle Mission, we invite each and every one of you to like and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Join the Facebook group, all at Michelle Mission. You can find this show available for your download streaming pleasure on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any place and every place a good podcast be, including as a member, a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network. We love being with Podglomerate. They are good to us, so we be good to them. Um, and the show is available as a radio program every Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM, People Power Media, Philly Cam here in Philadelphia, as well as start your Mondays, your mornings with Michelle, Mondays at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM here in the city of brotherly love. Want to know where we're going next week, Vince? I do. I'm, I'm very curious. Well, I told you I was going to jump back from 50s to 40s. Yeah. But then I changed my mind. Okay. And I said I wanted to stick around in the 50s. Okay. This, I decided this, to stick around in the 50s. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. So we were in 1950. Last week. Yes. This week, we're taking a trip to 1959. Oh. Right on the cusp of the 60s. To once again visit Sammy Davis Jr. Nice. However, he is the second lead in this film. Oh, okay. To the incomparable... Eartha Kitt. There it is. In Anna Locasta. There it is. From 1959. Looking forward to this. This is a... Uh, Very much looking forward to this. Slept on... A lot of people think this is a slept on uh, treasure of black cinema. I don't think I've actually seen the entire film. No, I had so never I'm, seen I'm it. Look, I think I've seen stills mm-hmm. and I may have seen a clip or two because again... Well, we'll talk next week. I think Sammy Davis Jr.'s film career very interesting. Is, is very interesting. But Eartha Kitt's, mm, it's probably Eartha Kitt, if not at the height, near the height of oh, her yeah, powers. 59? Yeah, 59. I, I feel like we need to bring some engineers or something in here to explain to us the technology of how they <laughs> captured her on film in 1959. Like, how did that work? Was it that was to like acetate and stuff in 59? <laughs> Feel like that shit was catching on fire every time they turned the camera on. <laughs> Eartha Kid in 1959. Good lord. Yeah, man. 
So that's where we're going next week. All right. On the Michelle Mission. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got to get out of here. This has been a great deal of fun. Hope you've enjoyed it. He's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. Thank you.